0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. And we would like to celebrate our veterans, those currently in the military and those veterans that we have who have been in the military. So if you are currently in the military or have been in the military, would you please stand? We would love to recognize you and thank you for your incredible service. Thank you, and uh, clapping the hands does little to recognize the amazing sacrifice that our veterans, our current military, and their families have given for our nation and for our freedom. And so we are so grateful for that and appreciate you. As we celebrated Veterans Day on Friday, we need to constantly be reminded of the great sacrifice that uh, each of those in our military forces have and continue to give. Would Chris and Melissa please stand? All right, thank you very much. You may be seated. And Chris and Melissa have gone through our new members class, and they have... uh and they have uh, fulfilled the requirements for membership so as our church constitution asks we need to have uh, we need to vote them into our membership so would a member like to uh, make that motion A motion mike second buck call in favor signify so by saying aye, aye. all right and Speaking of that, welcome. Uh, speaking of that, next Sunday we have a new members class during the 9 a.m. service in the fellowship room. Uh, so if you're just interested in what it means to be a member at Hannaford Street, find out more about our ministry. I encourage you to uh, to do that next Sunday at 9 o'clock. It'll just last the, the, basically the same time as the first service in, in the fellowship room so I'd love to see you uh, there and find out a little more about a little more about Hannaford so we have Thanksgiving come up it's hard to believe it. it comes up quickly doesn't it and so one of the things that we've done over the last few years is I know many people travel to family and friends for Thanksgiving weekend but uh, many are here and so we, uh, we started having a celebration, and we turned it into a chili cook-off. And it's been uh, a lot of fun. And so we would like to do that again this year. And so there is a sign-up sheet out in the Welcome Center. And, uh, and again, you don't need to be in the cook-off to come and enjoy the food. It'll be after second service uh, on the 27th. So here two weeks from today. If you would like to be in the cook-off, uh, you can sign up, and then it says, do you want to be in the cook-off or something to that effect? You would put yes. You can make chili, and you say, you know, I have a trophy case in my house that's completely full. I would have no place to put another trophy. By the way, there is a trophy for the winner, a beautiful trophy for the winner of the cook-off. And, uh, but... Whether you want to be in the cook-off competition or not, we would love to have you sign up. There's also need for sides or desserts. We are not having a side and dessert competition. So if you put side or dessert, you know, cornbread or chocolate pie or whatever you want to bring, uh, you please sign up for that and you don't need to worry about the competition on that. But we would love to, to make sure everyone goes home full. And everybody is invited to come. Again, that's two weeks from today and uh, just after the second service. So it'll be probably about 15 minutes after second service. We'll have everything up and ready to go for that. So uh, please consider doing that, being part of that. Let's pray and ask for God's direction this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that you are almighty God. As we look at these unlikely heroes pray that you would help us to recognize that you desire that we obey and follow you. And Lord, we ask that you use us to impact our world, just as you use these heroes of the Old Testament to impact theirs. Keep us from anything that would distract us from your word and the principles of it this morning, and we will give you the glory for what you will teach us. Help us not just to learn for fact's sake, but rather to apply what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at unlikely heroes. Uh, we, uh, first week, we looked at Enoch, and the challenge is to be like Enoch, a faithful hero who walked with God, to be like Jonathan, a hero who followed God's plan rather than his own, and to be like Ruth, a hero who stood with those who faced hardship. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Esther. And you may or may not be familiar with Esther. An Old Testament book is named after her. It tells her story. And it's really a Cinderella story. We all like a Cinderella story, don't we? well the story of Esther is a Cinderella story we're going to begin by just giving a brief overview of the story and then we're going to jump back in and and look at some of the details that demonstrate how Esther was a hero so first of all an overview of the story it's an amazing narrative of God's love and his grace The story takes place in the kingdom of Persia under the reign of a man named, we call him Ahasuerus, which is an English transliteration, but uh, sometimes in history you may also see him called Xerxes. He ruled from 486 to 465 BC. Now the book begins very interestingly as, as Ahasuerus deposed his queen Vashti. Because he, she would not appear before him in a group of men at a banquet. So they had gathered together, and they had a women's group and a men's group. And, and it looks like it went along several months. They were planning an invasion of Greece. And so it ended with this giant seven-day celebration. Last night, they have this banquet, and, and Ahasuerus and the men were probably pretty drunk by this time. It had been quite a celebration. And so he says, Vashti, come and join us. And, and we don't know what he was going to ask her to do. We don't know all the details. But she was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going to go in front of a bunch of drunken men. Well... Ahasuerus called his advisors together and it's like, what are we going to do now? We got uh, the uh, queen is ignoring my order. And they said, you know what? You'll give her an inch, she'll think she's the ruler. He laughed. That was a bad joke there. (laughs) Get it? King and queen. You know, king and queen. Never mind. Anyway. So, anyway give her an inch she thinks she's going to do whatever she wants so you've got to show not only her but everybody else that you are the one who is ruling here you're the one who's in control and so he banished her from the palace she was no longer considered the queen well that took place and then they went to battle against the greeks and they invaded greece and persia had a much bigger army a very impressive navy and they went to attack the Greeks, and the war lasted about two years. And if you read through the history books, some amazing stories of what took place during those battles there, during that two-year war. And, but the Greeks prevailed. And so Ahasuerus came back to Persia defeated, humiliated, and angry. And so his advisors got together and they thought, you know, we need to get a new queen. And I think probably at least in great part because we need something to distract the king because when he's angry, nobody has a good day. So they did something, and I'm not suggesting this, but this is what they did. They gathered 400 virgins together. They gave them a year to prep. And then one by one, they would go in and visit the king. And he was going to choose one of the 400 to be his queen. Well, that's where Esther comes on the scene. Now, Esther is an orphan Jewish girl. Doesn't seem to have much as far as power or influence, but she was beautiful. And she was living in this foreign land. The Jews had been conquered long before, originally by the Babylonians, and now the Persians were the world power. And so she comes in, and she's chosen as one of the 400. And so she, along with the other 399 of them, have the year of preparation, and then one by one they go in to see the king. And that's where we pick up the story. And a lot of it's found in chapter 1, Vashti being deposed, etc., but let's come to Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. It says this. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abahiel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but that Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her, so Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, so probably 478-479 B.C. there. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favour in his sight more than all the virgins, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. When the king made a great then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. So she comes in and she is chosen. There's about twenty five million women in the kingdom. Now, obviously, not all of them eligible, but 400 chosen to be part of this beauty pageant, and Esther is chosen to be the queen. Now, every Cinderella story has a Cinderella, has a prince, or in this case, a king, but also they have what else? I heard mumbling and groaning and complaining here. A villain, right? There's always a villain, somebody that's evil and mean. Well, the villain in this story is a guy named Haman. Now, Haman was an Agagite, and that means he was a descendant of Agag. Poor guy named Agag. That's just a bad name, but anyway... Agag was a powerful king. By the way, the Israelites, or the Jews, and, and Agag's descendants were not very friendly. In fact, they were more enemies. In fact, Samuel, you'll read back, actually killed King Agag. And so they, had, they didn't have great relationships. They didn't send Christmas cards. They had a bad time. So Haman hated the Jews. But Haman was given great power by King Ahasuerus, who's one of the most powerful men in the kingdom. And so when Haman came by, people would notice, and to the brown nose, they would bow to Haman. They would treat him as royalty. But there was one guy who spent his time by the city gate. And by the way, that meant he probably had a position in the kingdom. His name was Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther's cousin. When Esther's parents died, Mordecai raised her. He was probably, they estimate, about 15 years older than Esther. Excuse me. I'm getting into last week's message, Ruth there. But Esther, about 15 years older than Esther. So Mordecai raised Esther. But Haman despised Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, wouldn't pay homage to him. And so Haman was trying to figure out a way to get at Mordecai and to get at the Jews. And so he came up with a great plan. He went to the king, stroked the king's pride a little bit and warned the king, and guess what? These Jews are not good citizens. In fact, I think they're planning a revolt They weren't, but it didn't make any difference. He could lie. It's politics, right? Sorry. Anyway. So he said, hey, they're doing this. In fact, King Ahasuerus, I think we need to do something before this gets out of hand. And so he had a plan. The king would benefit from it, plus the people who took the who fulfilled the plan because what they were going to do is they were going to set a date the cast lots and by the way it was about 11 months later but that the jews were to be annihilated and if you had a neighbor that was a jew or somebody you knew that a jew if you killed them you could keep a lot of the stuff plunder a lot of the stuff that they owned And so they set this day up and they made a proclamation throughout the land. The proclamation was sort of like our pony express in a sense or messenger service. And so they would send somebody out and they would tell some more messengers and they would spread out sort of like a spider web over the whole kingdom so that in a very short amount of time the whole kingdom knew about this date that was set for the annihilation of the Jews. Mordecai heard about it. Esther didn't. The king, nor Haman, knew that Esther was a Jew. She was a pretty young lady that was now the queen. And so, Mordecai heard the news, and so he sent a message to Esther and said, You need to go before the king to protect our people. And after some encouragement from Mordecai and at great danger to her life, Esther went before the king and asked for protection for the Jews. And we see that the Jews were given permission to defend themselves. Haman was exposed and he was executed on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. That was a very brief nutshell of the story. Now we're going to step back and look at a few of the details. And by the way, I encourage you to read through the book of Esther. It's an amazing book and emphasis of the incredible power and providence of God. But let's step back and look at a few of the details that show some of the characteristics in Esther's life that made her a hero. I mean, she was an orphan Jew, part of a conquered people, in a foreign land, but God did amazing things through here, through her, excuse me, a hero recognizes that they have been put in the right place at the right time. You see, God put Esther in her position for a purpose. She was one who would have the king's ear and could stand up for the Jews when they were threatened with destruction. But just like Esther, God doesn't make a mistake when he put you where he put you. Now, you might not be the queen of a world power. But God has put you in the place he has put you in order to make a difference in this world for his glory. But let's see Esther's story. And we're going to jump into Esther chapter 4, sort of the central part of this whole book. Esther chapter 4, we're going to begin by reading verses 10 through 14. It says, Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command, that was one of her servants, and gave him a command for Mordecai. So she's basically sending a message to Mordecai. She was in the palace, he was out by the palace gate. And so she says this, Mordecai had said, hey Esther, something's going on here, you need to do something. So, verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king who has not been called has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days." So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now, we're going to get back to that in just a minute. So just put that in the back of your mind. But on back to verse 13, it says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What is Mordecai saying? He's saying, listen, God has promised to take care of His people. He will take care of His people. But if you choose to remain silent this decree will take place and you along with all the other Jews here in Persia are going to be killed but think about it Esther why did God put you in the position he put you from orphan Jewish girl to queen of Persia maybe God put you here for such a time as this now, Esther was wary of going to the king with her plea. But Mordecai said, God has put you in this place at this time. You see, our first response when put into a position that God has placed us in to make a difference, our first response is oftentimes, not me. God, you want me to do what? No thanks, God. God. But actually, rather than saying not me, we should consider saying, why not me? Why not me? Maybe God has some plan and I don't recognize what it is, but God has placed me here and I have an opportunity to serve and obey him. Why not me? Now, God's providence allowed Esther and Mordecai to step up as heroes. One of the parts of the story that's shared in the book of Esther is the foiling of the plot by Haman, and the ultimate victory of Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews. And earlier in the book, there seems to be this, well, there's this little story that seems to have no part whatsoever in the story but here's what happened. Mordecai, he was at the palace gate. Again, he had some sort of position there in Persia. Overheard two very dumb criminals sharing how they were going to assassinate the king. By the way, if you plan on assassinating the king, don't say it with people around, but these two guys did. So Mordecai heard that. He sent word to the king through Esther that these two guys were planning an assassination attempt. And so those two guys were captured and killed. And and it was written in the royal records. They like to write things in the royal records. But nothing else was done about it. And now that had actually happened probably several years before, long before Haman's plot to have all the Jews annihilated. But notice what happens in Esther chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. That night, the king could not sleep. Now, I'm going to stop there because you have to know what happened that day. You see, that day... Haman, very powerful guy, coming in and out of the palace, goes by Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't bow down. You see what happened? He was really angry at Mordecai because everybody else would bow down. Mordecai wouldn't. Because Mordecai was a Jew and you only worship God and God alone. And so that day, Haman had gone in and Mordecai again. So he already had the plot, but he determined he was going to have Mordecai killed the next day. So the next morning, he was going to go in and talk to the king. And that was the next morning. That afternoon, he had a 75-foot-high gallows built where he was going to hang Mordecai that next day. So that night takes place, King Ahasuerus is trying to sleep, and he can't sleep, so what does he do? So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. Hmm. Now it just happened that the night before, the day before, Haman determined that he was going to go that next morning to ask the king to have Mordecai executed, not even waiting for the day of the annihilation of the Jews. And it just happened that the king couldn't sleep that night. And it just happened that instead of warm milk or something else, the king decided to have the royal records read. And it probably happened quite often. I don't know that it was very often riveting reading. So probably, maybe quite often, the king said, hey, have a history read. I'll fall asleep rather rapidly. So it just happened that the guy that came in to read opened the record to this thing that had happened long before And it just happened that it came to that exact point where Mordecai had told of the assassination plot and that Mordecai was never recognized or honored for what he had done. So the next morning, Haman comes in And he's getting ready to tell King Ahasuerus about this rotten guy, Mordecai, who couldn't even wait for the rest of the Jews to be annihilated. Let's annihilate him today. And by the way, I just happened to build some gallows 75 feet high yesterday, and they're looking for somebody to hang around. Sorry, another bad joke. But before Haman can ask permission to kill Mordecai, the king... unbeknownst to Haman, is trying to figure out a way to honor the same guy that Haman wants to kill. And so the king, and by the way, when the king wants to talk, he gets to talk first. So Haman, and I picture him saying, and then the king starts to talk, but whatever. The king starts to talk, and he said, so Haman, what would you do For a guy that the king wants to honor. By the way, God has a great sense of humor. Haman thinks it's him. So he's like, This is great. I get to set up my own parade because he turns it into a parade. He says, So, what you need to do is you need to have whoever you want to honor me in this on to ride on the king's royal horse, have someone walk in front and proclaim. The, and by the way, wear the king's robes and look I mean, look really royal. And you're going to be walking down the street, and the guy in front is going to be shouting out, This is what's done to a man the king wants to honor. And Haman's picturing in his mind riding on that incredible steed and the king says Haman that's a great idea now I want you to go find this guy named Mordecai (laughs) and put him on the horse and give him the king's royal robes and by the way you're not doing anything today how about if you be the one walking in front of him shouting out to the people Boy, what started out as a great day was going pretty bad pretty rapidly. So, Haman, in his humiliation and anger, without even getting asked that Mordecai be killed, has to walk down the streets shouting out the praises of the guy he wants to kill. Pretty amazing. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33 says this, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now you have to understand casting lots, and I think if Haman actually did a casting of the lots to determine the day the Jews were going to get annihilated, but the Jews would often cast lots, it's the idea of incense, picking straws or something like that. But they would oftentimes do it asking God to give them the right answer. And so they would cast lots, trusting that God would direct it. But Solomon says in Proverbs 16, 33, that every decision is from the Lord. You see, the hand of God is seen throughout the book of Esther. Now, there's something fascinating about Esther, and if, uh, you may or may not know this, but Esther was one of the last books accepted into the canon of the Old Testament. And there was a reason why those people putting the, the Old Testament together and the New Testament together struggled with Esther. It's because the name of God is never mentioned in the book. I mean, it's a fairly long book. And God's name is never mentioned. But God's fingerprints are all over it. And so we see that the hand of God was seen throughout the book of Esther. remember last week when we looked at Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 when when Ruth goes to glean to pick up the the grain that had been left behind the barley because it was the time of the barley harvest and it says and she happens to glean in the field of Boaz no clue that Boaz was a close relative, that Boaz could be a kinsman redeemer and protect and take care of Ruth and Naomi. In this story, it just happened that Vashti was deposed. It just happened that Esther was chosen It just happened that the king couldn't sleep. It just happened that the records that he read about took place of the story of Mordecai protecting the king from the assassination plot. It just happened. The providence of God. But you know what? Just like in the story of Ruth from last week, just like in the story of Esther today, God is working in, in and around your life. He's bringing people into your life and giving you circumstances in your life where you have an opportunity to be a hero. You have an opportunity to stand for God. You have an opportunity to encourage that workmate that's going through a bad day. And while they maybe hardly ever talk to you, they come to you because they're struggling and stressed. And they just happen to come by your cubicle in the office and share their story. God is a God of providence and sovereignty. And Esther was able to recognize that she was there in that position at that time for such a time as this. But there's another part to the story. You see... A hero needs to demonstrate courage. Esther could have remained silent. Now, you have to understand a little bit of the background. I mean, she's the queen. The king and queen talk a lot. Can't you just go and say, hey, king, by the way, you made that really dumb decree that all the Jews were going to be killed? Uh, I'm a Jew. You need to change that. The law of the, and the Medes and the Persians could not be changed. By the way, that's why Daniel had such an issue in Daniel chapter 6. When the king Cyrus, who was uh, ancestor here of <clears throat> Ahasuerus, made the decree that he'd be thrown in the di- lion's den. That's why he had to go ahead with it, even though he realized he'd been tricked. Same thing with Ahasuerus. Haman tricked him, but he couldn't change the law. But here's what happened. See, the king, if you wanted to see the king, he had to ask for you. You couldn't just show up and say, hey king, I'm here, let's chat. And if you remember back to verses 10-12 through of chapter 14 that we sort of read as an introduction to Mordecai's challenge to Esther that she was born or she was placed in that position for such a time as this. It said, Esther was nervous because she hadn't been called into the king's presence for 30 days. And if you go in and the king says, you give me bad vibes, I don't want to see you, you would be executed. So she's sitting there thinking, okay, it's been 30 days since the king has wanted to see me. I have evidently done something to make him angry. So I am risking my life to show up in front of the throne. And only if the king put out his golden scepter would she be allowed to come in and talk if the king instead called the guards she would immediately be killed so what Esther did took incredible courage notice what it says in verses 15 and 16 Esther chapter 4. So Mordecai just said, maybe Esther, you've been placed in such time as this. It says, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, the messengers, to go back. It says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan. That's where they were living. It was the winter palace of Ahasuerus or Xerxes. So, who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. But let's have three days praying and fasting, and then I'm going to go see him. And by the way, that all happened... Two days before Haman recognized Mordecai. So these are all sort of going parallel stories going through there. So what happens? They pray and fast for three days. Esther goes into the throne room, into the presence of the king, wondering is he going to call the guards or is he going to hold out his scepter? And amazingly enough, it just happened that he held out his scepter. And she said... Can we have a banquet, you and I and Haman? So Haman's building building gallows. He has to stop and join a parade. But he's still hoping Mordecai's death, his hanging is going to come. And Esther's asking for a banquet with Haman and the king. So Haman's day is turning up a little bit. It's been pretty bad, but he's going to a banquet. But here's the thing about courage. You see, courage is the ability to act in spite of fear. We celebrate veterans today, or this week. We should celebrate them every day. But those people going into battle, It's not a question of they if they had fear. The question is, did they run to the battle or from the battle? Did they allow their fear to control them or did they stand and act in spite of fear? Esther acted in spite of the fear that she felt. The sign of a hero. And so what happened? She says, they have this banquet. The king, as he had said the first time when she came in, I'll give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. She's like, can we have another banquet tomorrow night? King was sure. Haman was like, okay, food was pretty good tonight. Probably be pretty good tomorrow night. As long as they don't have to see Mordecai. So they have another banquet the next night. We don't know exactly why she waited. Evidently the timing wasn't right. The Bible doesn't tell us. So they have a second banquet just like the first. Except the second night she tells the king some things he didn't know. She tells him she is a Jew. And so she will be affected and killed because of the um, decree that the king made. But she said it was all Haman's fault. So what happens? We see that Haman stays has now just gone from really bad to even worse. Thought it was going to be better. These two days span not doing well. The king gets really angry, stomps out to the garden to try to lower his blood pressure. Haman Goes to Esther and grabs at her feet and says, please, begging for his life, the king's tried to calm down a little bit. Comes back in, sees Haman hanging on Esther's feet, thinking Haman is trying to do something to Esther. He immediately has the guards take him out. And by the way, there happened to be a 75-foot gallows outside. So let's hang him there. So Haman was hung on the same gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And guess what happened? The end of the Cinderella story. Esther remains the king, queen. Excuse me. Mordecai is given an incredible position of power within the Persia kingdom. The villain is demolished and annihilated. And they all lived the Cinderella story. But in the Cinderella story, we see... The amazing story of a hero a little orphan girl who finally recognized that God had put her where he put her for such a time as this and a young lady who took the initiative in spite of her fear to do what God had called her to do a hero let's pray father thank you for your goodness thank you for your love and i pray that you would help us to recognize that you are in control and that you're providently working the details of our lives just like you work the details of the life of esther lord help us to be courageous help us to recognize the position that you have placed us in whatever situation that be aware of and looking for opportunity to obey you and to act courageously in such a time as this. We will give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.